Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome back to the Valley Collision Studio and the Bill Riley Show on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back in. Bill Riley Show on a Thursday afternoon. No, Bill. No, no, no. He's in Oklahoma City. Wheels up for the Women's College World Series. Number 15, Utah versus number 7, Washington. Tonight at 730. That comes your way right here on ESPN 792.1 FM, and also over on the flagship ESPN television. Uh, Bama in Tennessee is wrapped up, I believe. Yeah, 10-5 is the final. Tennessee uh, gets the win there. Stanford in Oklahoma about to get going. Oklahoma State and Florida State later on. And then the nightcapper is Utah and Washington also tonight. Don't forget about the NBA. No, 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 no. This is the home of the Utes, but it also is the home of the NBA Finals when the Utes aren't playing. The Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets. Game one gets going tonight on ABC at 6.30 p.m. That is the tip-off time. Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune joins us now to discuss the, the latest with the Jazz and the NBA. Andy, how's it going, man? Good. How are you guys? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for making the time for us on this Thursday afternoon. What's uh, what's your what's your week look like when you're when you're kind of covering Jazzland, but there's there's not much going on between, uh, of course, the the draft lottery and the actual draft, especially this year, which is a little different. They're uh, they're not doing the public uh, draft workout stuff. Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's obviously about kind of meeting our readers where they are, right? And so. Uh, you know, I think there are a couple different ways we can do that during this month. One is connecting the Jazz to this NBA playoffs. So, you know, I'm actually writing an article right now on some of the lessons we've learned during this playoffs and, and kind of how they might apply to the team building that the Jazz need to do. You know, they're still very early in this process. They're not contenders. And, you know, how do you get from point A to point B, I think, is an interesting uh, conversation. You know, I think uh, there's some other interesting topic talking points in this. Uh, series two, you know, altitude, obviously very relevant to the Jazz here. Um, you know, I think the Jokic-Murray two-man game uh, is really interesting as well. Kind of gives you some of those Stockton Malone vibes where they work so well off of each other. Obviously, it's not just pick and roll. It's more frequently pick and pop, but like uh, kind of thinking about that and kind of how the two-man game has, has changed in the in the NBA. So, um, stuff like that. And then, you know, on kind of the other side of the coin is, is obviously the draft stuff and 
understanding more about these prospects. I've, I've dug into a lot of film over the last week um, and, and, you know, and doing more articles on kind of trying to explain uh, and introduce these, these potential picks that the Jazz might take to Jazz fans so that they're ready come draft day. Andy, that's that's fascinating because I I, I kind of go through the same process, right? Where I'm always trying to think of like, how, okay, so what can the Jazz learn from from what's happening in the NBA? And I, I think for me, you know, as I've watched Denver and I've watched Miami and, and the, the teams that they're competing against, the big thing that I take away in watching Denver and watching Miami is that you know all five guys on the floor are capable on on each end of the floor, right? So they're they're all they all have varying levels of of effectiveness and what they do, but all five of them can bring can contribute on the offensive end. All five of them buy into the defensive end of the floor. And they've they've obviously constructed their roster differently, um but for me just how important is it for Utah moving forward kind of thinking with that mindset of okay, we need to find not just a a big piece, but we need to find multiple other pieces that fit well with what we're doing. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, I think that it's tough because you you absolutely do need those two-way players, right? Like, you you can't have a Tony Allen on the floor anymore in the playoffs. Uh, And, you know, I think the Celtics were hurt a little bit even by, like, Marcus Smart kind of types on offense, right? Like, um, But on the other end, like, on, on defense, I think you obviously need quality defenders, and yet the Heat have made it work with playing Duncan Robinson minutes, even though he didn't play all regular season long because his defense was too bad. And uh, Max Struess, you know, is, is not an amazing defender. You know, uh, Michael Porter Jr. before this season was considered an awful defender, and now he's improved. And so, you know, I think it's like it's one of those things where, you know, you have to look at it in terms of skills and uh, and, and having kind of the, the measurables as well to, to maybe get that done. You know, it's, it's almost like, even early in players' careers, you're treating it like their draft prospects of guys, you know, and kind of thinking of ways that can improve and, and how you want to uh, improve those guys. So, like, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker from a Jazz point of view or, or Colin Sexton, um, neither of those guys is very good defensively right now. Taylor may have maybe better tools in terms of length, whereas Colin has uh, kind of more effort on the defensive end but doesn't know how to finish it. So it's like okay, can you make those guys into reasonable playoff-quality defenders by improving one or two or three things? Um, and, you know, is, is how feasible, how likely is that to happen? Versus, or are those just not going to be playoff-helpful players and you just need to move on elsewhere? You know, I think it's, it's such a hard conversation to have. Is like, okay, you know, when is someone's limitations uh, too much, right? Like, when is it truly limiting right. so that you can't be on the floor in a playoff game? And uh, that's tough to tough to draw the line on, I think. Where do you see this series playing out, Andy? I, we, Bartle and I kind of did a preview coming in where we both we both are leaning Nuggets. Uh, obviously, they are the favorite. They're a nine point favorite tonight. But I I also was kind of alluding to the fact that I think people are too quick to, to discount Miami and. I don't know. I think we've kind of learned something where uh, this was the case going into the Celtics series as well, where folks were saying the Celtics would win in five or, or, or even maybe a sweep. Uh, I I think Miami is is built in a way where even if even if Denver does win this series, I think it's going to be a lot tougher to put Miami down than than a lot of folks are are prognosticating. Yeah, I think that's fair, and it, you know, it's it's one of those things where uh, you know I think. 
shot making has a ton to do with it, right? Like right. Miami shot 39% from three over the course of the playoffs. And, and you know, it's kind of, can they, can, if they can continue that, then they are extremely dangerous. And if they are more like they were in the regular season at 34, 35%, then all of a sudden uh, a lot of the mathematical advantages go away. Right. Um, you know, I think uh, ultimately like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking Denver in pretty substantially in this playoff series. Um, but I'm kind of with you that, you know, I think the current odds are something like, uh, you get, you know, if, if you bet a hundred dollars on the nuggets, you get $300 back if they win. That right. to me feels like a lot. Um, I, I don't know that I would have them as, you know, kind of the 75, 80% favorites that, 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 that kind of shows. So, um, you know, I, I think, yes, Denver's a more talented team. I think they're really well, um, set up to deal with some of the problems that Miami has presented, um, but that being said, you know, I, uh, you're totally right that the Celtics are, you know, we're the same way, and I think we're also well-constructed. Um, you know, I, I kind of believe in Mike Malone as a coach then a little bit more than Joe Mazzulla, um, and I think they have kind of more, maybe more ways to hurt you than uh, the, the Celtics did, or maybe more ways to hurt the, the heat kind of zone-switching, um, kind of smaller, more mobile defense than the Celtics did. So, um, ultimately, like I'm taking the Nuggets, and, and honestly, probably in five. Um, and, and yet, I also don't necessarily want to write the Heat off, right? Like I, I, I'm kind of in two minds with that. Yeah, it's so funny. I think everybody that's like thinking about this series is kind of going through the same process, right? Where you just look on paper, and it's like, oh yeah, Denver, heavy favorite. It makes a lot of sense. They've got so much talent. They're playing hard. They're playing well. But you can't just discount Miami because that's what we've done the last three series with them. And so I think everybody kind of has that 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 two way that thinking about it in in, in both lights. So it's it's interesting because I just went through that same thing this morning thinking about this about the series. But you know, Andy, um, is there a specific matchup or a specific storyline that you're interested with this final series? You know, I, I'm you know obviously matchup wise. The, the number one is Jokic versus Adebayo, and I think uh, that if if they can reliably go to Jokic in the post and get a point per possession, then I think the Nuggets become really tough to to stop because then you can kind of whirling dervish on everything else on uh, you know Michael Porter Jr.'s cuts or Aaron Gordon cuts, especially honestly, uh, you know all the Jamal Murray two man game stuff we were talking about earlier. Um, but if you can just throw the ball to, to Jokic in the post and have success over Adebayo, who's actually significantly shorter than Jokic. Um, it's just, the, the, you know, again, the math becomes really, really tough if you can just get a go-to easy basket with five seconds left on the shot clock. Um, you know, uh, beyond that, uh, again, you're, I'm kind of interested to see how the shooting holds up for Miami, how well, um, how they kind of attack Jokic. Um, you know, you can't, double him so do you where do you send help from or how often can you change it you know i think frankly uh no one's more versatile defensively than the miami heat and so if there is someone who can kind of figure out a creative way that clusters Jokic for a little bit then it's, it's going to be eric Spolstra. uh you know I, I think the who guards jimmy butler conversation it, obviously it's aaron gordon but then you know, Ken, Jimmy Butler is one of the best foul drawers in the league, and Aaron Gordon got in trouble with that a, a couple times in the playoffs. Can you uh, get Aaron Gordon into foul trouble and get into kind of the softer underbelly of, of Nuggets defenders where they don't have 
a lot of wing depth, I think, is kind of an interesting conversation. Um, and, yeah, and then ultimately, you know, can Caleb Martin keep it up, frankly? Like, you know, had a Eastern Conference MVP-level performance in the playoffs for a guy who was a two-way guy, a guy who was weighed by the Charlotte Hornets, uh, a guy who was undrafted compared to his twin brother. Uh, can he really do that again? Like, that's, that's crazy. Like, uh, and, and I'm, I'm really kind of curious to see uh, if, if he can and kind of, yeah, frankly, what caliber of player, player Caleb Martin is, not only just over a series, but over, uh, you know, playing a different team in a, in a different spotlight. Let's dig into the the matchup you brought up, uh, specifically Jokic Adebayo. And I, I think that on paper, Bam Adebayo seems like a, a decent fit for that kind of matchup, right? When you're thinking of NBA players that might have an opportunity to bother Jokic, it seems like a guy who can play out on the perimeter, who can who can block shots. He's not, uh, as you mentioned, quite as big as, as Jokic, but on paper he seems like one of the guys that you would choose if you were, you were picking someone to, to guard him. That being said, Jokic has absolutely shredded Bam Adebayo in one-on-one scenarios. What what have you seen in the playoffs so far with, with maybe other teams? Specifically, I saw some things that I liked with the Lakers with how they threw some things at Jokic. Uh, what can we learn about uh, maybe some of the prior matchups that Miami, Eric Spolstra, can use to combat that? Because I, I like what you did mention about having Bam, but also being really versatile defensively because they have so many wings and, and, and capable defenders on the outside. Yeah, you know, like, I, I think that Lakers matchup was interesting. You know, uh, there was kind of the talk after game one that, hey, the Lakers had really figured out an important adjustment there by putting Riyachimura on Jokic and, and allowing Anthony Davis to roam as a weak side defender and stop some of those passes that, that obviously Jokic is most well known for. Uh, and then, frankly, Jokic proceeded to tear up Hachimura and Davis and whoever else the Lakers threw on him. And, you know, frankly, uh, that's just because he's been – uh, the MVP and, and is kind of that caliber of player. Uh, I, I think that's a, a little bit tough for the Heat is, yeah, Adebayo, um, I think it's kind of your only potential matchup. Uh, and if it doesn't work or if you are able to get kind of the other defensive, uh, other offensive pieces going around him, so, you know, essentially Aaron Gordon cuts to the rim, uh, all the backdoor stuff that the, the Nuggets do, um, it, because they don't have that like obvious weak side help guy like an Anthony Davis, that it becomes a little bit tougher. Um, that being said, you know, like I, I, I think maybe that's that's kind of the lesson from this playoff so far is that no one can stop Jokic, and it's kind of silly to kind of think that they can. Maybe <laughs> your your better bet if you're the Heat is to uh, go elsewhere on the defensive end or try to force the ball elsewhere and. Uh, see see what you can get from the likes of KCP, who's had an awesome playoff so far. For example, um, I, you know, I, I think it's it's just it's just tough, right? Like, and that's why in the end, like, just look at the math and say, like, hey, Nuggets probably in five here, because uh, I I don't necessarily see how they stop this Nuggets offense. You know, the 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 Celtics offense is really susceptible to these kind of breakdowns, and was all season long where. Um, you know, they would go into kind of ISO mode or it's Jason Tatum hero mode or, or Jalen Brown tries to dribble and, and all of a sudden you're getting kind of guys out of their best element, their most efficient element. I think the Nuggets have been proven that that's really hard to do. And, uh, you know, in the end, kind of the question is, to me more, is, is can the Heat offense keep up uh, by scoring enough on the Nuggets defense? 
Andy, so I know we, we started with the Jazz, went to Denver, stuck on Denver. I'm going to go back to the Jazz because I'm curious with what's going on with the organization. Obviously, all eyes and, and the attention of NBA media is on the finals. But you know what's, what's going on currently with the Jazz organization and, and NBA draft workouts? Just kind of what's, what's the latest with the Utah Jazz? Yeah, uh, you know, doing draft workouts, and then they also did one of their uh, free agent mini camps. I, I believe that was this week, Monday, Tuesday, um, where they bring in kind of 20 free agents from, uh, you know, previous NBA teams also around the world to try to see, hey, can any of these guys help us? Can, you know, are any of these guys either summer league candidates or 15th roster spot candidates? You might remember Royce O'Neal was one of those guys that the Jazz brought in. Uh, liked him during the three to mini camp and, you know, kind of gave a chance to and obviously kind of worked his way up the rotation in later years. Um, so I know, I know that happened. Uh, and, and then, yeah, they're, they're bringing in, uh, you know, a, a ton of different prospects because you've got nine, 16 and 28. You can really almost bring anybody in. Um, mm-hmm. I was even surprised to see Cam Whitmore, uh, you know, worked out with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, I believe today then told reporters there that uh, because they do have their workouts open to the media, uh, that he's working out in Utah next. So, hmm. um, you know, Cam Whitmore was is kind of projected as a top seven, top eight guy. It's a little bit surprising that he'd go to nine, but, you know, obviously wants to impress decision makers in Utah in case the Jazz move up or, you know, as to kind of establish a floor for him uh, in, in the top ten of the draft. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know exactly when that Cam Whitmore workout will happen. It could be as soon as tomorrow. It could be, you know, later this weekend. It could be early next week. We don't know, but, like, they are going through these workouts. And, and typically, you know, they've worked out somewhere between 50 and 100 prospects. Uh, I expect them to be kind of be on the high side of that this year, given uh, the, the number of, of first-round picks they have. So, Andy, I'm, I'm curious just – you know, with the draft, and, and I'm sure you've started to, like, dive into profiles and film on these guys. Are there are there prospects that you're you're trending towards, like, guys that you just you can't help but like, uh, whether it be just gen, your genuine personal like um, or, or th- how you feel they fit with, with the Utah Jazz? Are there any guys that you're trending towards in, in that way? Victor Wembanyama, number one. No, uh, <laughs> no I, I think... I really like that guy. I think he's a. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's got I, a I chance. Wrote this article at the beginning of the year. Uh, whoever gets Victor, and obviously it's the Spurs. Uh, the Jazz have to play through that guy for like the next ten years. Like it, it's through that team. Like they, he is a LeBron level prospect. He is so good. Anyway, um, beyond that though, like it, it's funny because there are guys that I fall in love with, and then I watch again, or then I read something about them again, and I I, I consider like. Oh, yeah, you know, that's actually kind of a good point. So the the guy I had kind of that, uh, I don't know, crisis with yesterday was Taylor Hendricks, who I absolutely loved my film watch of, uh, you know, in terms of essentially I think he's a weak side help defender on the same level of like a, a Jaron Jackson Jr., a Jada McDaniels, a just really that kind of can play that low man position, come over and help, uh, and is a – incredible rotator and shot blocker, right? Like, I, I love that. He's so long. And then uh, offensively, like, is not polished, but can hit a ton of threes. And I and hit threes over contest, which I love. And then, you know, I, I, I read the Box and One uh, sub stack is really great. It's 
Adam Spinella's work on kind of breaking down these prospects at a really micro individual level, which is awesome. And uh, he kind of pointed out something that was interesting and just kind of the lack of feel that he had is like the ball stuck a little bit more with Hendricks than you'd like. And maybe he wasn't able to make some of those reads um, that you want him to make and, you know, not to be your best player or anything, but even just as a connector role player to find the open man to keep the advantage. I think that's something we've seen in these playoffs is that how important that is, how important it is to keep an advantage going, how important it is to have five men on the floor who work together and move the ball, get open threes, get open dunks and layups for each other, right? And and feel is so critical to that, and Taylor Hendricks doesn't really have that yet. And so it's like, okay, so, you know, you I, I love kind of the gamble in a vacuum. Then if we're talking about the Jazz in a playoff series, is Taylor Hendricks the guy, you know? And... and uh, I, I think, honestly, probably the answer is still yes, and I would still probably love to draft him at nine if, if he's available, and yet, you know, all of a sudden, you know, there those question marks kind of creeping in. On the other hand, you maybe have, like, an Anthony Black who has incredible feel, right? Like, he's, he's going to yeah. be essentially Lonzo Ball in, order, in terms of his ability to kind of make his teammates better, move the ball, uh, and find the open guy, understand transition situations, uh, plays with real size, so on and so forth. But on the other hand, he can't shoot and he can't score right now. And those are kind of big deals that also take you off the floor in the playoffs, right? And so each of these guys has, like, these really fun strengths and then these, like, oh, yeah, but what about this kind of weaknesses that hmm. I really kind of struggle to figure out uh, which you want to consider kind of most fixable and which you don't. You know, like, who are the low-field guys in the NBA who really became high-field guys in the playoffs, you know, in – later you know I, I think it's it's tough to teach that and and um but also it's tough to teach shooting too you know certainly there are mm-hmm. examples but there are a whole lot of examples of guys who couldn't shoot in college and then still can't shoot in the nba so um I, I you know i don't necessarily know where to go and there's no like prospect that i unequivocally love you know i i went through the same kind of thought with jalen hood shafino and his again incredible feel and then you look at it and it's like okay he shot 33 percent from three last year and it's like that's okay. Can you develop that to 35, 36? If you can, then he's a really good player. And if you can't, then, you know, he's probably a backup point guard. And it's just, it's, it's one of those things. Um, I, I, I'm maybe one of those drafts where I'm doing so much research into it that, uh, I, I almost can't decide who uh, my favorite prospects are, if that makes sense. <laughs> mm, yep. <laughs> it always does seem a little hard. When you see more of guys, it seems kind of harder to, to narrow it down versus when, you know, the, the, the standouts maybe in the tournament or uh, at some of the bigger schools or, or, or what you're looking at. But when the Jazz have three different first-round picks, Andy, it's kind of hard to narrow <laughs> it down when you're looking at, at such a, a wide net of, of prospects. Let's let's narrow it down for you. Um, instead of maybe like best available or, or, or prospects you're looking at, give me one specific need that the Jazz have to hit, uh, and, and maybe specifically through the draft, right? If, if there's free agents available at a, a certain position, that's one thing. But what, what are the Jazz looking for? Uh, you know, if, if you have a 9 and 16, those are, those are picks that you may uh, play project is guys who can contribute right away what positions are are the jazz really really keying in on yeah you know i, I think clearly it's in the backcourt and yes, uh, yes. you know that's not to say that you take three backcourt players with first round picks here i think you still want to do best player available basically but 
you know, I think there is the, you know, you probably would like to take a swing on a ball handler in this draft. Um, you know, if you have the opportunity, I think Cason Wallace is a relatively good fit. He's, he's relatively small, but like, is so ferocious on the defensive end. Uh, a very good, like, screen navigator, very good help defender, very smart on that, and, and can shoot, you know? So it's like, I think he's got essentially role player downside and then, like, Drew Holiday upside, which is, uh, you know, one of the top five point guards in, in, in the league today. Um, I, you know, I, I think kind of looking at if, if one of the Thompson twins falls, again, I, I, where I don't think you have a, a ton of feel, or at least I, maybe feel is the wrong word with the Thompson twins, but I think with, uh, you know, stars in particular, um, you, you just don't know. They don't know kind of the next path or next read yet. They're They're kind of, uh, they don't have kind of the NBA knowledge because so much of their, their game is based in transition because they've been playing 16-year-olds in the overtime elite program. Um, I, you know, I, I think ball handling is clearly the, the thing, but I also think that the Jazz um, think that they're pretty far away right now, right? Like, I, I don't think that they would hesitate to draft a small forward or a power forward just because they have Lowry Markin in. I don't even think they hesitate they really thought a center was the best player available to draft a center, even though you've got Walker Kessler, um, because I think they'd like some versatility in that center position. And, you know, while Walker has had a terrific rookie season, and obviously, you know, I voted him rookie of the year, um, there are some questions about, like, how versatile he'll be and whether or not you can play him uh, as a switching center or just as a rim-protecting center, right? So um, ultimately, like, I think they think they're far enough away that that talent's going to be the number one thing here. I do think that they're going to be really interested in moving up if they can uh, to get a guy that they really like and think is worth that swing. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I don't think that the uh, positional needs are going to be kind of the, the number one thing on top of mind. It's going to be kind of skill set needs and ultimately just needing talent. You know, Danny Ainge said it in the press conference. We need good players. Like that's the stage where the Jazz are at. Is it's not kind of hey, how do we put a good team around Larry Markin? And it's just how do we get more talent on this roster? Andy, what are the odds that the Jazz make all three of those selections? Or is there a better chance of them maybe moving off one of them? Yeah, you know, I, I would not be at all surprised if the Jazz move off one of them. Um, put, you know, especially your 2024 pick, uh, you owe the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's top 10 protected, but still it would be nice to have a pick next year. Uh, if you could trade 28 for a pick next year, I think you you definitely do that. Um, especially given this draft, where frankly, a lot of the draft evaluators see kind of 25, 26 first round grades in this draft. Right. You know, like in 28, you might be digging for a, a player that's maybe less good than the the player you usually get at 28. Um, Next year's draft is not good either, to be clear. But, you know, in terms of kind of where you are at just kind of the end, number 28 of the draft, might be a logical uh, time to do that. Uh, you know, honestly, packaging two of the picks makes some sense too. So if uh, there is a team that wants someone at 28, maybe you can do a 16 and 28 for 14 or 15. Uh, maybe you can do 9 and 16 and move up to 6 or 7. You know, I, I think there are um, a, a number of different ways that you can kind of package the picks together to get kind of the most value out of the draft that you want. And, you know, I think the Jazz have kind of clearly been willing to do that. Um, Danny Ainge has been clearly willing to do that. I, I You know, if they, for example, in the, uh, you know, the, the trade deadline trade this this year, 
they traded three second round picks away in order to get the the Lakers pick along with all the rest of the players that they traded. Uh, so you know they're clearly willing to kind of consolidate worse picks and kind of worse assets for for peak assets in their mind. And I think uh, we could see them willing to do that if the price is right uh, later on this June. That is Andy Larson of the Salt Lake Tribune covering the Jazz offseason. A little bit of NBA Finals chatter as well. You can find him on Twitter at Andy B. Larson and, of course, read his work at the Salt Lake Tribune. Big thanks, Andy. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Andy.